So open with me, if you will, to the book of Ruth. And I'll pray for us. Father, um, thank you again for another time to just gather together as your daughters, seeking your face. And I do pray you would revive us according to your word, Lord. You would just help us to stay alert to hear what you want to hear, what you want to communicate to our hearts. I pray for that you would help me, Lord, um, just to share what you'd have me to share. Lord, you just work by your spirit in all of our hearts. We love you. We adore you, Lord. We just do. We, we just want to know more of you, God. And you say we can and we want to know more. We want to be closer to you, Lord. We want more of you and less of us. And just have your way in us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So the, we're looking at Ruth, but we're going to pretty much kind of look at the whole book, if that's okay. But the entire book takes about 25 minutes to read, so we're not going to read every verse. It's just a gem of a book. I love this book of Ruth. Maybe in your time later, you know, you can go sit down when you have 25 minutes and read it It's in, in its entirety. So I'll be kind of summarizing and reading some verses since for time's sake. Um, but the, the book of Ruth, according to the very first verse in this book, it says it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So we learn about the, 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 the backdrop of this book. It, was, it took place during the time of the judges. And that was that about 400-year period that took place right after Joshua and his people entered the promised land. And it comes, it comes right at... Um, Judges, we read it was, it comes right after Joshua and, and then comes Ruth. And so it was marked by a very specific phrase, which some of you know, that time period. It says a couple times in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did was, was right in his own eyes. So that is, that's not my phone, right? <laughs> That's, that is kind of that time period, what marked that time period. There was no king in Israel. So what would happen is the people would rebel against God. God would send enemies against them. God would raise up a, a they, people would cry out. God would raise up a judge to deliver the people. And then it was this cycle. It was this cycle during that time. It was a dark time in the nation of Israel. And that's, when this book of Ruth, this story takes place. But it teaches us this story of Ruth that when we follow God, our lives always mean more than we think they do. Everything that is done in obedience to God, no matter how small, is significant. And so a summary of chapter one. Okay, we're just going to summarize it. It starts with this family. There is a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi. They have two sons, Malon and Chilion. They live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, means house of bread, but there's a famine in the land. God gives a prescription for famine. That means if there's famine in the promised land, the, the people are in rebellion. The prescription is repent, cry out to God. He will bring, you know, he will restore the land. But what happens is this family leaves. They see greener pastures in, this, in Moab. They leave the promised land to go to this Gentile nation, town of Moab. And there in Moab, Elimelech, the husband, dies. Elimelech means God is my king. And he dies in Moab. 
And then it's Naomi and her two boys. The two boys marry these two Moabite women. They marry one named Orpah and one named Ruth. And then the boys die about 10 years later. They dwell there 10 years. And then the boys die, the men. And then Naomi hears that God has visited his people back in Bethlehem. There is now bread again in Bethlehem. And so she decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And she's got her two daughters-in-law in tow, and they're clinging to her, and they say, we want to go with you. And Naomi says to them, you know, it's, this is not good. Don't come with me. Life of a widow back then was a hard life. It was not easy. You had nothing, no resources. She's telling Orpah and Ruth, go back to your parents' home in Moab. Stay in Moab. Go back to your parents' home where you have a chance of a future where you could possibly remarry. This is not, there's no future for you to come with me to Bethlehem. And Orpah is convinced, even though she seems to love Naomi, and go back again and read, but she's like, yeah, this isn't a good life choice, going back following this widow mother-in-law to Bethlehem. But Ruth is not convinced to turn back, because I believe she's already been converted in her heart to follow God. How could she go back to her God? So we're going to pick up in verse 14. And it says, then, this is the, the, the three women, they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. Or turn back from following after you. Forever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. So we'll, we'll stop right there. So those are like precious verses. I mean, I think people that don't even know the Bible knows, know those verses. They're just sweet verses right there, what, what Ruth says. But Naomi has no doubt instructed her daughters-in-law about the Lord, told them stories about the, the God of Israel, right? Because Ruth calls God by name. She calls him Jehovah. And in Ruth, we have not just a picture of faithfulness, of fidelity, you know, just fidelity, faithfulness to stand by Naomi, but we have a picture of a girl who's trusting in God, right? Her faith in God sees beyond present bitter circumstances because they were bitter circumstances. Her faith freed her from seeking security and comfort of what she knew. She had a faith that gave her courage to venture into the unknown and to the strange, and she had a faith that allowed her to have a radical commitment to the relationships appointed to her by God, that relationship between her and her mother-in-law. So they come back into the town. It says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned 
and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So Naomi, and her name originally, Naomi means pleasant. That's what her name means. So she comes and they're like, Naomi, she's like, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. <laughs> yeah. Can you relate? Like, just call me bitter. That's, that's what she says. She's so weary with adversity that she cannot see any good to come. She cannot see any dawn of rejoicing. You know, she will have to learn that weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? Like it does. And she has to learn that. She should know the story of Joseph, right? Of how he was sold into slavery and all the adversity and all the hardship that happened to him, and he never lost faith in God. And at the end of it, he would say, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. She cannot see that. And she says in verse 21, I went out full and now I'm coming back empty. Can you imagine Ruth is standing there next to her? How would you feel if you're Ruth? I just, I went out full, now I'm coming back empty. And you're like, hey, I'm with you. Like I just forsook my family and everything in security to follow you. And here I, you say I'm coming. But I would say, I don't see any bitterness in Ruth. You don't, because how the story plays out, you know there's no bitterness in her. And I was thinking how faith and bitterness do not mix. And if I was one to give a, a illustration, because I felt like I, the Lord gave me an illustration in my head, and it was just like a big cup of water, you know, and that would be us, just full of faith. And if you were to try to put oil, and then I looked, I did the illustration, and it actually works. So, you know, how it just doesn't mix. You pour a little oil in. And it cannot penetrate. It cannot be, you know, it cannot mix. And there's certain things that just cannot mix with faith. And one of those is bitterness. And fear cannot mix with faith. You know, and, 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 and so in and despair and hopelessness, they just don't mix when we're full of faith. And it says in those verses, they came at the beginning of barley harvest. And it's a little phrase that means there's hope. And with God, there is always hope. Remember we looked at that person who, whose heart departs from the Lord. It says they cannot see when good comes. They cannot, they're so blinded to these little, these signs of hope. And Naomi's blind right now, but she'll get it. In, ver, in chapter 2 it says, Then there, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So in these verses, first we find out there's just a, there's a redeemer on the scene. That's just kind of like this thrown in there. That's what that word means, close relative. There is a kinsman redeemer on the scene, and this man named Boaz. But Ruth, she seems, she says, Can I go and glean? And so she seems to be aware of God's heart, of God's instruction, because there was an instruction that God had given in his law. It was kind of like his welfare system. In Leviticus 23:22, and it says in other places in the law, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident, I am Yahweh, your God. So that was God's welfare. Like if, if you're gleaning your field, you leave the ends. Leave the, leave the outside of yours, of your field for the poor. And I think, isn't God's, isn't his system great? It leads to generosity, right? It, it, the person has, the field has to have generosity. And the person who is poor has to get up and, and, and do hard work. 
And I think, wouldn't it be great if God just always governed us? Because his way is so perfect. But she obviously knows this because she's prompted to say, let me go and glean. So she's been instructed in that. And notice that faith is active. Faith is active. Faith gets up and goes. And it's not active in the sense, I remember a, a show called Where the Red Fern Grows and watching when my kids were little and he wants the little pups and somebody says to him, you do your 50% and God will do their 50%. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, you know, we do our 50 and the, but, but faith is active. It's moving, right? My daughter, our first one is ready to go to college. And, uh, and so we're like trusting the Lord for provision. But guess what? She also has to get up and she has to start typing some essays and, and some scholarship things and start working. And then, you know, we'll see what God does. But it's faith has to be active. And we see an active faith in Ruth. And it says in verse 3, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And so I love that little happened in there. She just so happened... And it's not a coincidence, is it? There are not coincidences, right, with the Lord. God guides in such natural ways that sometimes we don't even see how see him guiding. We don't see how he's working, but it's so natural. We talked about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 several times, I think, you know, already. But we trust in the Lord, and somehow he's directing our steps. He is leading and guiding. This happened is actually God's providence, Providence is the means by which God directs all things, seen, unseen, inanimate, adamant, you know, good and evil towards a worthy purpose because his will ultimately will be fulfilled. There's such peace in that, right? That God is in control, that God is sovereign. And faith trusts in God's leading. I think Ruth was praying on her way, don't you think? I do. I think she was praying like, Lord, direct me to the right field. Direct me where I'm going to be safe. Direct me where I'm going to find favor. And she just trusted that somehow God was going to lead her. Verse 4, so now behold, Boaz, he came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi, with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, and, and she said, please let me glean after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field, no go, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people who you do not know. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So we'll just stop right there. So first, here's where we're finally introduced to Boaz. I'm going to say I think Boaz is a very neglected boy's name. 
I'm just saying. Nobody names their boys Boaz, right? This is a godly biblical man. Like he is like a, he's just a great man. He's a godly man. And why don't, I don't know why, I, I was determined if I have a boy and my last baby, I am naming him Boaz. He can go Bo for short. So just for some of you that may be having babies, just consider it because I think he needs some respect in that area of like, Legacy, you know? Anyways, he does just, it's, he's an awesome man. So we're finally introduced to him. And we were told, remember, in, when we looked at Matthew 1 in that genealogy, it said that Salmon begot Boaz through Rahab. And so it, in, in the genealogy, he comes from that line of Salmon and Rahab. Probably time-wise, because um, it's probably their, his great, his grandparents, because of the Jews sometimes in genealogy would, I think it's called telescope genealogy, leave some of the names out and just have some of the most important names because time-wise, it looks like it would have skipped a, a generation. But nevertheless, he has that heritage. He has that godly heritage of Rahab in his, you know, and, and isn't, legacy, isn't faith a legacy? Isn't faith a heritage? I was telling you that my daughter's going to college. So when this whole process first started about a year ago, she came and she said, so how much do you guys have saved for me for college? And like Sarah laughed when she found, I was like, you know, like laughing, like we went and planted a church. Like we don't have anything in savings for you. God bless everyone that has savings for their kids for, I think that's a blessing. I'm not saying it's not, but the greatest thing we can give our kids is a legacy of faith. It is a heritage. And our grandkids, because this is baby Rahab's grandchild, you know, the greatest thing that we can leave them is a heritage of faith. And they will look back and be like, my mom or my grandma was a woman of faith. And that's what they will remember most. That will be, you know, the overriding theme of our life, that we were a, a person of faith. And so we see in these verses that Boaz, like, has eyes for Ruth. It's a love story. It's a very sweet love story because he's like, whose woman is this? Like, who, who is this? Who is this girl? You know, it's over here. And Boaz, I mean, you know, Jesus says, lo, I, I come, I come, behold, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, right? We see in this book a picture of Jesus. Boaz is a lesser kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our greater kinsman redeemer. But notice, because he is a picture of our greater kinsman redeemer, Jesus, notice how he immediately provides protection for her. He immediately just blesses her. If we were to read down, and we're not going to read all these verses in this chapter, he is just like totally abundantly blessing her. Like sit at the table, and he's serving, you know, eating lunch, and then he's just, have the guy just drop for her grain for her sheaths for her she comes home like with this thing you know overload of blessing but that's what jesus does in our life he loves us he cherishes us he protects us in our ladies bible study right now at west houston we are looking at we're in the gospels and i've been so ministered to just looking at people's interactions with jesus you know, looking how John could just lay his head upon Jesus's, you know, bosom. Or how, you know, when Mary finds out it's the gardener, it's not the gardener, but Jesus, like she immediately has no shame. She's going to go and cling to him. And on and on, you just see the people reacting to Jesus in an uninhibited, unashamed intimacy. 
Like they, they had no shame to just cling to him and lay at his feet and lay upon him. You know, when Lazarus' sister called for Jesus, they said, the one you love. You know, John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. So how we see him reacting to the, those people when we read the gospel and we see that sweetness and that intimacy that he allowed, that's the same way that we can have with him today. Like he wants us to have that sweet love relationship with him. And that's another side, that's a side thing. But anyway, so we see that Boaz says to her, he says, don't, in verse 8, don't go into any other field. Just don't go from here because I'm going to protect you here in this field. And Psalm 37.3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And there is safety one place for us dwelling in the land, right? Being where God wants us to be. That is the being in Jesus, abiding in Jesus. It's our only place of safety. I got, had to watch somebody kind of drift off of that place of safety. And it's not fun. There's always restoration when you come back. There's forgiveness. God does a work, right? But it's not fun because that is our place. Dwelling in the land is our place of safety. And so verse 19 her, it says, her mother-in-law said to her, so Ruth has come back with this, all this stuff. And she says, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So this is not a normal day of gleaning. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed is he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours. And one of our close relatives. So he's, she's, she realizes this is one of our close relatives. It means redeemer. This is one that can redeem. So I'm sure like Naomi's got like bling bling, like something, whoa, something good is going on here. And so in this bleak background, you've got this bleak backdrop of the time of the judges. And then personally in this family's life, you've got heartache, you've got loss, you've got bitterness. We see that God is doing the work. He is doing a work. He's preparing a family through which the Messiah would come from. And we can look around, and we can see only bad circumstances, bitter circumstances, hard circumstances, and we can think, I'm going to be the first person to ever, in this situation, prove, disprove that that thing, that God works all things together for good. Right? Have you ever felt like that this situation? No, there is just no way he's going to, in all of creation, this will be the first time that he ever did not work all things together for good. Right? This, he will not perfect this thing that which concerns me. I, I, he just, right? Can we be like that? Just, all we see like Naomi is just, we're so blinded with bitterness. Yet, this book shows us God is at work. God is always at work. God was working. Right? His thoughts towards us are good. They're for good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should just walk in them. And workmanship, you know, is that word poema. We are his poem. And, and you maybe heard of that illustration. People say it in different ways, but it's like, you know, there's a tapestry and our life is this beautiful tapestry that God sees. He sees how he's going to weave it all together. And in the end, it's beautiful. And God sees the finished work. So he sees this, like, beautiful thing that he's going to do from heaven. And we're down below going, like, I don't, 
and we see like yarn hanging and all this gnarled stuff. You know, you see when like when somebody's working on a tattoo, we're like, that looks terrible. But God's like, no, it's beautiful. I am doing something beautiful. So go to chapter three, and I'm praying God will weave this together because we're jumping through this. But <laughs> then Naomi. Her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, so Naomi, so Ruth did stay in the field. She's been working. Then she gets to here and she says, Naomi, Naomi says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? So Naomi does not want her daughter-in-law to glean forever. When they came to Bethlehem, she expected nothing more than perpetual widowhood for Ruth. She's like, you have no chances here. Nothing good can happen here. Go where, you know, but now she's like, hmm. You know, I, she's seeking some security. There's a glimmer of hope. She says, now Boaz, in verse 2, who, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Is he not our kinsman redeemer? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So the threshing floor, it's the winnowing time after the harvest. And the threshing floor was the most conspicuous part of the town. It was at the highest point of the town. And it was the place... Like where they brought, all, after the harvest, they winnowed. And they would throw that grain up into the air, right? And the wind would come and take the chaff and blow it away. And then the grain would fall to the ground. So isn't he up at the threshing floor right now, she says? And then verses 3 through 5, she says, Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So Naomi comes up with this plan. Boaz is a kinsman. He has the right to redeem their family. And so she says, you know, we don't know if he's, he's able, but is he willing? So she, this is the plan, right? And it may sound weird. I don't know. Some of you may read this and go, what is she asking her to do? It sounds weird. Go and lay at his feet and uncover his feet. And, and unfortunately, our society, our culture has perverted everything that has to do with marriage and romance and love that our minds sometimes naturally go to like a wrong place, don't they? Just go like, oh, that, that sounds weird. Everything God made and said was good, the enemy and the world perverted, right? He said, I, he made man and he made woman and it was good. And the world's perverted it, right? Do you know, I, I don't know if it's every state, but you don't even have to mark the sex on a birth certificate in some states because a child can choose. You can't choose your sex. God's, God's the ordainer of that. I mean, but the world has perverted it, right? Marriage, God said it was good. He is the one who ordained it. And then the world and the, you know, the devil, they pervert it. And then this thing, a procreation, and it's like it was good, and then it's been so marred and perverted that our minds can go, you know, like, what is she saying? Is she saying something that's, but it's not. What Naomi is instructing her to do is take a bath and put on perfume. She's probably been in her widow garments, like, right up to this point. She's been winnowing, you know, she's been at harvesting. She's probably sweaty. She's like, get cleaned up and get prettied up. And Ruth is teachable. She's like, she heeds the counsel of Naomi. She heeds her counsel. And the only time she didn't was when Naomi was like, go back to your God. She's like, I'm not going back to my gods. I'm going to follow after you. But she says this. 
She says, go, and you're going to uncover his feet. And notice she says, she says, wait until Boaz eats and drinks. So isn't timing important on things? She counsels her. She gives her very wise wisdom on timing. Timing is so important. You know, there's always that time to sit and pray before we do things. Our, I don't know, but I would say probably half the room, if I said, are you reactionary, you might raise your hand and say, yes, that would be me. I tend to react. The other day, I'm so grateful for just the wisdom of God. Because happen, something happened, and I'm like, I'm just going to go say this thing. I'm going to say this thing to this person, you know. And then I was so certain I should say this thing, and I'm like, but I'm just going to pray for God's timing. You know, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and then, God said, it's never time to say that thing, you know? And then I'm like, oh, and I didn't. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness, I was going to say this thing. Like, you know, that was not loving. And, and But it's so wise, wisdom, to wait on God's timing. She gives her this timing, and she says, here's the plan. After he eats and drinks, and then he's laid down on the threshing floor. This is your timing. So harvest was this great time of joy which we don't fully understand because we don't have Jason's Deli. You know, you have Jason's Deli behind your church, right? In their time, food was a blessing. It's not like you get a Jason's Deli or a Chick-fil-A on every block, right? I mean, it was a time of, like, rejoicing that there was food and provision. And so there would be this whole rejoicing, and then he would lie down, and he would sleep around the threshing floor, and the men would sleep in this way, protecting the threshing floor, lying down. And so when he goes and lies down, She's to go and lay at his feet and uncover his, his feet with the blanket. And when he gets cold, he'll reach down and see her. And so we'll see what happens with this plan. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor in verse 6 and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And now it happened at midnight, then the man was startled and turned to himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And then he said to her, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young man, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for all I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down till morning. So we're going to stop right there. So the plan works. You know, he wakes up. He looks. Who is this? She says, I, I'm your maidservant. Take, take me under your wing. Basically, she's saying, redeem me. She's saying, marry me. Like, this is a proposal, basically, right? And he is not put out. He's like, blessed be you of the Lord, right? Like, I, I don't think Boaz is at all sad about this, this opportunity, right? And we find out, though, that he's second in line. He's like, and don't you think that he's already thought this through? He's like, well, actually, I'm second in line. Like, I've already thought it through, Ruth, because since the moment I saw you in my field, I'm the second in line. He says, I'm not the first one that has rights to redeem you. I'm the second one in line, but I will go. Like, in the morning, first thing, I'm going to go, and I'm going to see. If he will redeem you, then he can redeem you. But if not, you know, I will. 
And notice, so back in, in, that, in verse 11, he says, all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. All the people of my town know that. Do you think when, Ruth, when Naomi came in dragging this Moabitess daughter-in-law, do you think all the people of the town were wanting to see the best in her? Just looking for the best in this girl from Moab? You know, God's, in the Psalms it says it's God's toilet bowl, basically it's kind of a loose translation. I mean, Mo, it was, she was from Moab, you know? But her character stood out. People noticed she was really a woman of virtue. One translation says, thou art a bride worth winning. That's what, you know, you actually are a catch. And Boaz was the catch. He was this wealthy, godly man. And actually, Ruth was considered a catch for him. Remember in chapter 2, when he met Ruth, he said, oh, I've already heard about all the good things, all the kindness you bestowed on Naomi. Like, it's, it's talked about. Your character has been talked about. Her love, her faithfulness. These godly traits were so overriding her past. It had become not about where she was from or who she was. It became about who, who she was. Like, her character was what it was about. And there are some traits that are just just God's and God's alone. We talked about it in our in, in our discussion group. I mean, they're just it's just God. God is supremely set apart in some things, like his power and his sovereignty and his might. And there's some things in his omniscience, only God is all-knowing. There's some things that are only God's. But there's some traits that God says, I want to impart to you, like kindness and love and faithfulness and gentleness. Those are things he wants to impart in our life, and those were things that she walked in. Don't you love kindness? I love kindness. God is kind, and God imparts kindness to us as we follow him. So she was known for being a woman of virtue, and that came from her character, not from her upbringing, not from being from a church home or from her family. That came from her and her from her character. Verse 16, so... She comes back to Naomi, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she says, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The Old King James Version says when Ruth walks in, Naomi says, who, out, who art thou, my daughter? Like, are you Mrs. Boaz? Like, who are you? Right? Like, what happened? I'm sure was she not, like, that whole night. Like, oh, what's going on, right? And Ruth tells her everything. Like, he said he's going to go in the morning. You know, he's not the first in line. There's another one. And Naomi's counsel was, sit still. That's easy, right? No. <laughs> Just sit still. You know, we're like girls. We can like think of all kinds of ways to like manipulate this situation, right? Maybe I should just go back to the threshing floor one more time. Maybe I should go by the, by the gate where he's going to be. Like, can you, I mean, I could just go on and on. You can go on and on with all the things that we can do to manipulate a situation. Naomi's counsel is so wise. Just sit Still, Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you and you only have, you only be silent. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Lamentations 3, 24 through 36, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, 
to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You know what? Faith frees us from manipulation because faith trusts that God is going to work it out, like how he wants to work it out. So we don't have to manipulate the situation. And she didn't. She waited and she was still. We see in Naomi or in Ruth a, a faith that was active. She got up and went and she gleaned. And here we see a faith that's just willing to sit and wait. And so going to summarize uh, some of chapter 4 for you, for time's sake. So he comes to the gate. He meets with the relative. And the relative says, yes, I'll redeem the land. And Boaz says, okay, but when you redeem the land, you get... You get Ruth, too, in the bargain. You have to marry Ruth. And then he's like, oh, no, I don't want to, you know, and I'm sure Bo's like, whew, okay, that was a little, that was a little hairy there. Because the, the first one, he wanted the land. He just didn't want the girl. Boaz wants the girl, and he redeems the land to get the girl. Does that sound familiar? Right? Jesus wanted the bride. He wanted us. He redeemed the world to get us, right? We are the treasure to him. And so he, he redeems her, he gets his bride. Verse 13, and we're going to read verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who's better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes on in the genealogy. Like, this is amazing. Remember when Naomi came into the land? Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. I'm just so blind with adversity. I can't see that anything good was going to happen. She had forgotten that God was not done with her yet. God is not done with any of us yet, is he? He would have the final say in her life, just as God's going to have the final say in all of our lives that belong to him. But it took her coming back to the land to see that plan unfold. And it, it does. It takes. It, she was a prodigal. Naomi was a prodigal. She had to return back to the land in order to see that plan. But they say, these women say, may he, may he be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. She had lost so much. She never thought she could see happiness. But she wasn't going to end her life bitter. She was going to end her life with this little grandson on her hip. And they say, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has borne him. She'd gone out. She said, I went out full and I've returned empty. She saw no blessing in Ruth. And they're like, this, da this daughter-in-law, she's better to you than seven sons. And how often we overlook. We don't see the blessing of those people that are in our lives ordained by God, those relationships that God has put there. She was such a blessing to Naomi. And this little baby, born to Ruth and Boaz, would become the grandfather of King David, the godliest king that would ever rule in Israel, the, the king that God would say, you have a heart after my own heart. And eventually that genealogy would lead right up to Jesus Christ, to the Messiah. And could Ruth and Naomi ever have imagined what God had in store? I mean, never. Just like, 
Just like Rahab could have never imagined what God had in store for her, Naomi was like, there's no future for you in Bethlehem. Go, the only hope you have is just go back to your family. They could have never imagined. Ruth was married, it seems, from, this, from the text, at least 10 years. She must have been barren. I mean, she did not have children in those 10 years. And so she seemed to have been unable to have children. Then she lost her husband. Then she has these bitter circumstances. Look at what God had in store for her. And the thing is, that's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a, be- it's a sweet story. And it's not our story, right? That story's taken. Like, we're not going to be in that genial. That's not going to be our story. But each of us has a story, don't we? And it is a beautiful story. It is a beautiful story because God is the one orchestrating and working our story. And he, and the beautiful part is that every day we have the chance to become more and more like Jesus. More and more. Like we talked about in our discussion group. That's the sweet, sweet thing is that we have the chance to let everything he does to use it to become more and more like him. And every day we wake up, his mercies are new to us. It's like we get a clean sheet of paper. Do you ever have the little ones when you're little ones? You have, some of you may still have little. They like always drawing. I have one that's always drawing and always making that so creative. But it's like every day, it's like a clean sheet of paper. Like all of our mistakes, all of our past, it doesn't matter. He says, today you get to walk with me fresh. Today there are new mercies. Today, right? Today is such an important biblical word. We get to walk and in that uninhibited, unashamed intimacy with Jesus. And he gets to write our story. And he's the best author of all. So let's pray. Lord, um, thank you, God, that you are the author and finisher of our faith. God, and everything you do is good. One day in heaven, we will proclaim faithful and true are you. Everything you did was faithful and true. Sometimes we can't see it this side of eternity, Lord. But we know by faith that we will proclaim that, that everything you did is faithful and true in our lives, Lord. We we just want to, God, trust you and cling to you and look to you and walk with you in a closer intimacy. We thank you for your scripture that gives us the, um, just gives us hope and exhortation and comfort, instruction. Lord, and we just pray that you would continue to bless this retreat, this time, these ladies, in Jesus' name. Amen.